On today's show, a full breakdown of what became a 117-109 to loss down in Miami for the Atlanta Hawks. They fall back to 500, and it was kind of a nightmare night from the star backcourt. We'll get into all of what transpired in this game and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1425 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you deep in the night on a Saturday evening into Sunday. And today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users have 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That is prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. And also want to encourage you at the top of the show, as I always do, to make us your first listen each and every day, no matter where you get your podcasts Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And we're also on the video side over on YouTube. And today's show, we'll dive into what became a narrow loss for the Hawks down in Miami, 117 to 109. The Hawks are now back to 500 on the season at 32 and 32 with this one. They were down by as many as 21 points. The Hawks were uh, didn't, honestly not, they didn't play well in this game. They also didn't play terribly in this game either. They were back within five down the stretch a few different times, and it was certainly competitive. And as we'll get into in a second, it was a tough spot for Atlanta, given their travel and all of that. But really the headliner, I think, has to be, big picture, the struggles from the star backcourt of the Hawks in this game. Combined, Trey Young and Dante Murray shot 5 of 25 from the floor, 0 of 10 from three, and had 18 combined points. Now, they did have seven steals, including a career-high five from Troy Young. But it's basically going to be, I would say, close to impossible for the Hawks to beat a good team, or at least even a decent team, on the road in particular, with Trey and DeJounte doing what they did tonight. The Haw- now, again, the Hawks were in position to steal this one at times in the fourth quarter, but it was going to be probably require one of them to get kind of hot at some point, and it just never really happened. So uh, the whole loss is on them. I will always say, with try to give you some nuance on the podcast. And there were other issues. It was not just Trey and Dejounte struggling. And again, I thought Trey's defense was pretty good in this game. But uh, the Hawks are going to have a lot of trouble trying to overcome 5 of 25 from the floor and 0 of 10 from 3 from their two obvious star players. And uh, that is definitely the place to start in this one. And even beyond that, Trey Young and the Miami Heat is a potential kryptonite situation at this point. Uh, if you were around for it, uh, you I'm sure remember this at this point in time, but Trey Young was pretty much dreadful in the playoff series last year against Miami. He shot 32% from the floor. And for me, it was basically the worst stretch of his career other than maybe parts of his rookie season. But once he became established, that was as bad as he's been over a multiple game sample. He did have some better games this year against Miami in the first two appearances, uh, but still didn't shoot well. 35% from the floor in those first two games. And again, he was good defensively tonight by any standard, not, not just Trey standards. He was pretty good. Uh, five steals, obviously, is not the only thought. That, that's that, that's part of it, too. Quinn Snyder actually said after the game that Trey was great, which I think was definitely um, some intentional positive reinforcement for Trey's defense because offensively he obviously was not good in this game. And look, defense matters, but he was really bad on offense in this game. By his standards, for sure, but really by anyone's standards, um, he also hurt them in transition by crashing off into glass in this game for stuff that he probably had no chance to get. He tried to force it a little bit in the second half with some shot selection uh, disparity and just, you know, plainly shot two of 13 from the floor for eight points. If you have eight points on 13 shooting possessions or 14 shooting possessions as a, as a player, um, and by the way, that included a meaningless bucket with like 25 seconds to go in the game, something like that. So it was really six points in the actual competitive portion of this contest. And it's a new season low for scoring for Trey. And I am the first to tell you that points are not the only thing that matters. But when you have a season low 
by six points and you are a guy who definitely leans on his scoring, that is uh, noteworthy. Also, it would have been his season low for last year, too. So he's not actually scored fewer than nine points since January of 2021. So 26 months ago. That's a long time. And again, that's not everything, but Trey was not good in this game and DeJounte wasn't much better. Uh, kind of a one-night swing from DeJounte Murray making essentially everything on the way to on the way to a career high performance on Friday in the uh, definitely a, a, a much more fun game and a, and a victory at home to uh, coming back the next night and actually shooting three or four from the floor and zero of five from three so um, that's part of it uh, as far as the rest of the sort of takeaways observation from, from this game itself offensively given what I just said you would have thought the Hawks were just terrible offense in this game and they actually weren't that bad now they weren't good but they had a 111 offensive rating in this contest. It was less than 100 in the first half, so sub one point per possession in that first half. So it was better in the second half for sure. Um, they ended up shooting 57% on twos. That's a very solid number. Only 9 of 30 on three, though, which is not just horrific, but not good either, obviously. And uh, if you remove, and we'll come back to these guys later on, Sadiq Bey and Madonovich combined to shoot 7 of 13 from three. So the rest of the team in this one, I believe, yeah, 2 of 17. So uh, that kind of tells you the story. Uh, they, did, they did get up 33 free throw attempts in this game, including some in the fourth quarter that were important to close the gap. But turnover-wise, it was more than usual from this, from this Hawks team, and they were really bad in transition. They ended up actually scoring 17 fast break points, but in the first half, they just kind of fumbled away multiple opportunities. They were below average in the class and just never had that full rhythm. They were better with the bench unit in this game, for sure, than when it was more featuring Trey and DeJounte, but you know, n- nothing was perfect along the way, for sure, on offense. And then defensively, it was a similar story. It wasn't awful by any means, but there were some fundamental issues in pick and roll coverage at times. Um, actually, my friend Glenn Willis, who's been on the show many times, including once last week on the show, he said this on Twitter, and I, so I went back and saw it on film as well before I started recording this podcast. But basically, the Heat kind of spammed a similar action in the fourth quarter over and over again to expose a weakness in the Hawks' defensive alignment and taking advantage of both uh, some young big men. Obviously, they were playing with Jalen Johnson and Congo at that point in time, and to their credit, those guys helped to close the gap in the game, make this game much more competitive. But also, when you combine those two guys with uh, a wing pairing of Bogdanovich and Bay, uh, those guys, by the way, Bogey and Bay, shot the heck out of the ball, and they were important in this game. But defensively, that pairing is uh, not great, let's just say. In fact, it's basically to the point where Bogey and Bay have to shoot incredibly well to actually function together as the as the wing pairing because they are that bad defensively. And the Heat, to their credit, Eric Spolster is a great coach, um, sort of exploited that down the stretch. Anyway, the rest of the defense, you know, wasn't like perfect. On the glass, it was kind of a rough state of affairs, especially when Capella was off the floor in this one. And then also Miami just shot them all better than Atlanta did throughout the night, which didn't help, obviously, if you're the Hawks. Um, the Heat did have a lot of turnover issues, which definitely allowed the Hawks to stick, stick around in this game. We'll come back to it later on, but in the, in the fourth quarter in particular and late in the third quarter, Miami's lack of ball security really kind of helped the Hawks get back into the game. Uh, but 20 turnovers for Miami, and it still wasn't enough for the Hawks to get over the, go over the finish line, and that kind of tells you sort of what the disparity was in the rest of the game itself. So, you know, big picture, uh, this is a game where it's not a travesty kind of loss. I know – some Hawks fans get mad when I say that kind of thing, but look, uh, the Hawks were underdogs in this game. Our friends at FanDuel, who sponsored this podcast, shouts to FanDuel, um, have had the Hawks as about three-point underdogs on the road. And yes, Miami was also on a back-to-back in this game, but the Hawks had a long amount of travel after a win on, on Friday. Miami did play yesterday, but did not have to travel. They were at home, so that's, that's a notable advantage for the Heat rest-wise. And also, they took a pretty frustrating loss at the buzzer Did Miami. I'm sure that did not hurt them in terms of motivation in this game. They didn't have Kyle Lowry. That honestly might have helped the Hawks, honestly, at this point in time. But uh, 
you know, at the end of the day, a single digit loss to the heat on the road on a back to back is not cause for alarm, um, especially when you factor in that no matter what you think about Trey and DeJounte, I know some people are sort of more mixed than I am. Those guys are really good. Uh, they're not likely to play this badly on offense most of the time. And if they had just played an average game on offense, the Hawks probably win or we would have been very, very close at the end of this one. So as far as like frustration levels, I saw lots and lots and lots of typical, um, you know, maybe frustration or anger or whatever on Twitter. And look, the Hawks are one and two under Quinn Snyder. That doesn't really matter to me. Obviously, it matters for the season, but it's like he's not like he's doing a bad job. Um, but still, the Hawks are 500 again. That's frustrating. And as far as the standings are concerned, if this year is your primary focus, losing a head-to-head game against Miami that you could have won, re- I would say realistically, isn't great because Miami is the team that you're trying to uh, close the gap on at this point. At least one of the teams you're trying to close the gap on. So uh, sort of a double loss there. But the bright side is you're going to stay in Miami now if you're the Hawks. And then on Monday, they have a chance to right the ship. And if they're going to split Miami, that would be actually a very positive result on the road, given that the Heat um, are a team that is at least as good as the Hawks are on paper this year and that the Hawks have had all kinds of issues with in the last two seasons. All right, we'll get into how this game kind of unfolded in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Price Picks. If you're looking for a DSS option this time of year, make sure you check out the awarding app at Price Picks. Price Picks is daily fantasy made easy. It's amazing, and I know that you will love it as well. It's very easy to use. I've been playing there for quite some time, and it's really a breeze to operate at Price Picks. All you have to do is pick two six players and choose will actually have more or less than a certain number of points, or rebounds, or assists, or steals in a Price Picks more than twenty five times. Yes, twenty five times the money on any entry that you're putting in. They offer numbers on sports that you might enjoy. That includes stuff beyond the NBA, which, of course, they certainly have as well. But college basketball, NFL, college football, MLB, NHL, PGA, soccer, esports, and much more. And a whole entry can be done just a minute or less. It's that easy and it's that quick. Plus, it's just you against the numbers. Prospects have safe and fast withdrawals. They're operating in more than 30 states, plus Canada. At this point, download the Price Picks app or go to pricepicks.com and sign up by Daily Fantasy Sports right now. And if you're a first-time user, get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. Don't forget that promo code; it is Locked On. And sign up for that instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at Price Picks. All right, we'll get into the game now and how it sort of unfolded here. The Hawks did start the game out with a 4-0 lead, actually, with Click Capella, who played well in this game. He was on a short list of guys who played very well for the Hawks in this one. Uh, nice play design, I thought, out of the gate. Actually, Nikias Duncan, a former guest on this podcast, great uh, analyst and the co-host of the Dunker Spot, another great podcast in the NBA space, um, sort of highlighted this. But it was a nice play design that kind of involved Trey setting a nice screen to, flink, to free up Capella. Obviously, it's the first play of the game, so you have an opportunity to run something good, and that worked out very well. But the Miami took the lead and basically led, or at least were in control of things, the majority of the way. A 17-6 run by Miami. The Hawks were missing some shots. Didn't have a field goal for like four minutes, basically. Um, and then also had some transition issues along the way. Um, rotationally, no huge surprises, but I'll go through it now, what transpired in this one. So, Bogey was the first sub for Trey. Um, Bogey was not good in the first half. I thought he was better in the second half because he made shots. But defensively, it was a little bit flammable. And on the second out of a back-to-back, I would be looking to rest Bogey sometimes. And at least, at the very least, not play him a ton of minutes on back-to-backs. And he played 13 minutes in a row in the first half, which I probably would not be wanting to do at this stage. But anyway, uh, he was better after halftime, so that was, that was that was certainly helpful. Sadiq Bey came in earlier than usual with John Collins having a second foul. And I'll come back to it later on, but Collins was very bad in this game and looks to be out of shorts for sure since the All-Star break. I'm not sure if it's a concussion or the back or just not playing well, but he's not playing well at this point in time. And they've gone with Bay more as a result of that. Okonwu came at the usual time and then, as I discussed the last few podcasts, it seems like the Hawks are going to be choosing between Jalen Johnson and AJ Griffin for that ninth spot. And it was Jalen Johnson again for the second straight game in this one. 
I like seeing Jalen play, but one more time, as I said before, earlier, um, him playing with that bench unit does have the Hawks playing Sadiq Bey and Bogey on the wings, and that is a flammable defensive pairing, particularly when you're paired with a, with, you know, with, with a point guard. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see how that sort of is uh, adjusted around because uh, you know while Bey uh, certainly has offensive strengths and Bogey does as well, those guys at the two and the three especially is not going to work defensively in a big picture sense. But also of note, AJ Griffin, who didn't play in the rotation last night, but ended up getting in the game late. Um, he this is his first DNP in more than fifty games. He had uh, been playing every night since like November, so I'm not surprised by it at this point. There's been a little bit of um, sort of you know foreshadowing about that with the way that Snyder's talked about it, and obviously last night he wasn't in the rotation either. But uh, we'll see if that changes on Monday or if it changes in Washington. But uh, it seems like Jalen has the lead in that battle right now. And by the way, I have no real issue with that. I think AJ had been playing worse in the last couple of weeks, uh, maybe getting into that rookie wall, et cetera. I'd like to see him still stay engaged and play a little bit more. Like, for instance, tonight would have been a good night in my, in my mind to not have Bogey play on a back-to-back. Obviously, he ended up helping them in the second half. But we'll see if that happens uh, you know, later on this week or something like that. But Griffin should stay ready, and we'll see how, what, when, he, when he sort of returns to the rotation at this point in time. Still, like, some pretty sloppy basketball late in the first quarter by both teams. The Hawks ended up being down only three points, and which is not really bad considering how poorly they shot the ball in the first quarter. But the Heat, as it did the entire game, had eight turnovers in that first quarter to kind of like give the Hawks a lifeline. Miami had a big run, though, early in the second quarter, an 8-0 run to go up by 10 points. Um, Miami was in control really the entire way after that. Um, the Hawks had a really tight whistle, I thought. There were 12 fouls called on the Hawks before Miami got, got its sixth foul. So a lot of fouls called on Atlanta in this game all the way through. It ended up being a little bit tighter in terms of uh, more even after that, which is nice to see. But uh, foul trouble along the way. Kongwu had it. Collins had it. Bogey even had some at some point. Um, the Hawks were, again, transition-wise, kind of rough. Cody Zeller had a great stretch for the Heat in the first half, which is weird to see. Um and the Hawks had their largest deficit of the first half at the buzzer because Bam had a jump shot to go up by 17 at the break. The Hawks shot 50% from the floor in the second quarter. Pretty good, right? They lost the quarter by 14 points. That's really hard to do because they had six turnovers. They were 0-1 at the free throw line. And then Miami shot 65% from the floor and had 11 free throw attempts in that quarter. So uh, you don't often see a 50, 50% shooting quarter in the NBA uh, turn into a 14-point deficit in that quarter alone. But uh, it was really rough. And uh, as I said before, Trey and Murray, it was the whole game. They had seven points on 12 shots in the first in the first half. Um, I think that was probably their lowest scoring half of the season. I couldn't find that like quickly. But given that you know they only had 18 in the game, which I think was their lowest output of the game there as well, at least of the season there. But it was uh, early often and the entire way for those guys struggling. After halftime, the Hawks started out very slowly and honestly felt like it was going to be game over in the third quarter because the Hawks had four points at almost five minutes, missing six straight shots. They were fortunate to only be down, only quote unquote, be down by 19 points because Miami couldn't score either. Um, there was an awful possession before the mid-quarter timeout where the Hawks had you know, you know a couple of um, you know open threes that they passed on, no flow at all. Murray ends up turning the ball over and then going into a timeout, gets a technical foul, just some frustration stuff there. The Hawks were within 15 at one point, but it was back up to 21. And I flagged that it was 80 to 59 with about five minutes to go in the third quarter. So that was the high water mark for the, uh, for the deficit. They had a nice run at the end of the third quarter, which is kind of what they had to do at that point in time. What you need to do there when you're down by 21 mid third quarter is like, all right, let's get it down to 10 or 12. And they did. It was a 10 to two run immediately got it down to 12 by the end of the quarter after a steal by Trey and a dunk by Jalen Johnson. And they ended up winning the third quarter, which was uh, sort of baby steps in the fourth 
They kept it going, but it was really the offense that did it. Uh, it was Bay, it was Bogdanovich, and even Murray had a couple had a couple buckets in that fourth quarter as well. Both teams started making threes, um, Bogey and Bay, and then it was Hero for the Heat. So the problem was the Hawks basically just traded buckets for a large majority of the fourth quarter. And when you were the team that's losing by 10, 12 points, that isn't going to work. Now, they got it to five on multiple occasions. So they were right there. The Hawks were never within one possession, but it was certainly within two multiple occasions. Uh, Trey actually was on the bench longer than usual. And I said that on Twitter, not in a judgmental way, just as a note, because usually when Trey come, if there's a timeout with like seven minutes, eight minutes to go in the, in the fourth quarter, he's already in the game. Uh, it didn't happen in this game. And that was okay with me. And Quitsider addressed it after the game, basically just said uh, he, he went and told Trey that he was going to wait with that group for a little bit longer. Trey had no issue with it, but it was easy to see why Trey had been struggling and that group had been rolling, but he basically never sits that long in the fourth quarter. Now, of course, coming out of that timeout, the Hawks had a little bit of a hiccup, gave up four points in a row, and they were down by nine. And then after that timeout, I even called it. I was like, he's coming back in now, and he, and he did, um, along with Capella and Hunter at that stage. Um, Hunter actually had his best stretch of the game by far. He hit three straight jump shots um, after being ice cold, just kind of came in and made three jumpers, jumpers in a row. Uh, hats up to him for that, for that little stretch. But again, the Hawks just couldn't get stops. And essentially for about three minutes straight, it was seven to five. Seven to five to seven to five in the deficit. And that's okay, but eventually someone's going to stop scoring. And it was the Hawks in its instance. In fact, Atlanta had five consecutive empty possessions on offense. And that essentially ended the game. Miami scored on their first three to intersperse with that five. And when that little run was over, it was a 12 point game again with two minutes to go. And it was down to eight in scramble mode with about a minute left, but it was really never close again. So uh, kind of the dam broke there when they finally stopped scoring. Uh, and really, realistically, they could not expect to just keep scoring every possession. But even then, it was Trey and Ajante that were ice cold in that stretch again. Um, and that is part of the problem with the lineup that they were using. Um, they were trying to score. And that, that's a very common and very understandable technique that coaches do when they're losing in the fourth quarter, something they did a lot as well, um, is go as you go offense. And that works if you – keep scoring and get, get the occasional stop. But this time the Hawks didn't quite keep scoring. And then defensively um, playing Sadiq Bay, playing you know with those guys is not going to necessarily work all that well on the, on the defensive end of the floor. And that ended up kind of biting them at the end. But I, I definitely understood it. And, uh, you know, closing without Collins was the right move in this game. He had been playing so poorly that it was probably between Bay and Johnson, which is uh, definitely strange, but certainly was the reality in this spot. And then the Hawks uh, sort of, you know, again, not embarrassing by any means, but we're not able to get over the hump at this point. Okay. We'll get into sort of the player evaluations. There's plenty to say about this game, as well as a brief look ahead to the week that is to come for the Hawks. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a fantastic treat right now that is delicious, but also don't want all the fat and calories that come along with that, Built Bar is the option for you. I know a goal of mine this year is to eat a little bit better, a little bit healthier uh, in 2023 than I did last year. If you're anything like me, eating uh, healthy is tough sometimes because the taste part actually matters. But with Bolt Bar, it is the best option possible because it has good taste and good health all the way around. With Bolt Bar, healthy is tasty and they're so delicious. You won't believe that they're actually good for you as well. 100% real chocolate on the outside of the Bolt Bars and they come in a ton of awesome flavors. My personal favorite is cookies and cream, but they also have peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, and many more. Bolt Bars have 130 calories and four grams of sugar to go along with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And you have to wait to get them at this point in time. I've been telling you for a while, and it's still a fantastic option, by the way, to get them at Built.com. Built.com has the whole catalog of Built Bars available, but also you can get them right now in a store at Walmart or Sam's Club. Walmart has them in stock right now. Also, Sam's Club, if you want to get a 13-bar box in a hurry, 
is a fantastic option for you as well. Make sure you check out Built Bars no matter where you get them, Built.com, Walmart, or Sam's Club, and dive in today. All right, on to the player evaluations of this game that, again, became a 117-109 loss in Miami. The Hawks played nine guys. Um, none of those guys were, was A.J. Griffin, so that's something to at least note. Um, but as for the players who did appear, Jalen Johnson played the least, uh, along with John Collins. Those guys played about the same amount of time. We'll start with Jalen. Five points, four rebounds, two assists. Um, they're using him more at the perimeter defensively. That's the right decision. But again, it comes back to also the lineups they're playing with. So Jalen's playing a lot of minutes, um, yes, as the four, but also alongside Bay and Bogey. And that means he's the guy at the point of attack on the wing, which makes sense. It's, it's a skill set that he definitely has, but we'll see if that about that in the future. I thought he was pretty good in this game. He didn't like light the world on fire, but I thought he played well defensively in particular. Uh, more good minutes there, and I think the, the future is certainly very, very bright for Jalen Johnson. Uh, Bogey, kind of a tail of two halves. Still wasn't great in the second half, but still had 13 points on nine shots. Ended up making three threes. They were very important shots defensively. Certainly a step or two slow. And I said it before, but I would not mind seeing him either play less or play not at all on back-to-backs. And that's not a quality thing. I think Bogey is very important, as I've been saying for the last few weeks. Like when when he's right, the Hawks are their best selves. But I think the back-to-back stuff and try to keep the load off of him would be a good idea, given that they have Griffin to play, especially when everybody's healthy, to go ahead and just give his minutes, at least some of them, to AJ in these spots. Um Akongwu was good and missed one 15 points, four rebounds, did have his customary foul trouble, had five fouls in 23 minutes. But got to the line eight times. That's actually a career high in attempts, I believe, for Akongwu, or at least something like that. I saw that from Hawks PR. Um, 15 points, four rebounds. Um, you know, Defensively was solid. Wasn't actually his absolute best, I didn't think, defensively in this one, but certainly had some nice moments. And then Sadiq Bey, um, it's kind of the same story it's been for the last couple of games, and I'm sure people are getting frustrated with it. But on offense, he was very good in this game. 22 points to leave the entire Hawks roster in scoring. Four of eight from three, three of five on twos, four four at the free throw line, had three rebounds and two assists to go along with two turnovers, was plus three. Um, look, he's not going to shoot this well. Um, I saw, I said on Twitter, got to pushback. I'm not saying he's not going to be a good shooter. I, I like the shooting quite a bit. He's a career 36% three-point shooter. I actually would buy him being like a high 30s, maybe even low 40s guy at, with the Hawks at some point because the shot quality will be better than he, than he was getting in Detroit. He's shooting like 54% from three right now. So it's going to cool off a little bit, but um, the, the spacing has been very valuable. They have, they have definitely been their best on offense with him playing before uh, since he got here. So that, that's, a, that's a good sign. Uh, defensively, it is very flammable, and I'm not trying to be negative about it, but it's just unavoidable if you watch the tape. He's been probably their worst defender, like worse than Trey, worse than Bogey since he got here. And that could change. He's got more tools than those guys do defensively, and maybe he'll get up to speed. It's a new system for him, and there's certainly a little bit of room for uh, maneuverability there. But uh, it's been a little bit bad. So we'll just come back to that later on. But certainly he's given them good stuff on offense, and that is very, very, very helpful. And I had no issue at all at all with him closing because he was certainly the guy making shots and keeping them involved in this game. Um, to the starters, we're going we're gonna to Collins now. And look, it was, it's bad. I, I know that I have the reputation earned for being high on John Collins. I think that most people are overreacting right now to John Collins, a guy who has a like a five-year sample size of being a very, very good NBA player. But since the All-Star break, he's been bad. And there's no way around it. Um, again, there could be a reason. There could be you know the concussion that kind of messed him up during, during the break. Uh, he had a back issue after that. That could be part of this part of the story, but this season offensively has been his worst season as a pro. Uh, that's already already was the case. It's actually gotten worse the last couple of weeks. Um, you know the role was so small. He has a career low usage. That's partly on him, partly on the team. He's playing with a, a non-shooting big, all that stuff. I think the, the addition of Murray um, definitely made it harder on Collins. That was something we talked about even over the summer. Like he was going to have the smallest role he's probably ever had, and that was still the case now. So 
we'll see if it snaps. Um, I, you know, the, the calls for him to just like not play, uh, people are being a little bit silly about like calling him unplayable or saying he's terrible. That's not true. It's just not like, and of course I'm wired to say like, and this would be the case for any player on the Hawks roster, not, not just, not just cause it's Collins. I'm not going to ignore five years of data in favor of a small sample size. I'm just not, um, you know, Jalen Johnson for the future. Would not surprise me at all if he's the starting power forward for the Hawks. Sadiq Bey is very valuable. And I've talked about it with Tower Jones in recent days. Like, I'm kind of assuming John won't be on the team beyond the season. We'll see. He's still under contract um, and all that fun stuff. But uh, as far as this game is concerned, he was quite bad. And I had no issue at all with him not playing a lot down the stretch. Snyder was not asked. And I, was, I was, of course, not in Miami to ask this question. But I would have liked to hear what he said if he was asked about Collins playing this little. Because the first few games, he was on a minutes restriction, and that kind of explained it. Um, this time around, I'm not aware that he's still on a restriction. There was some foul trouble in the mix to help him 16, 16 minutes on the floor. But it was notable that he sat for a long time at the end of the game. And again, it was the right decision. But it was something that you would normally like to hear the coach weigh in on. So obviously to see if, what's, if there's any follow up on that in the future. But as far as like his performance goes, he was quite bad in this game. And I'll just leave it there for now. We'll have more on that in the future. OK, DeAndre Hunter, the one nice stretch in the fourth quarter when he made the three jump shots in a row. Otherwise, I thought he was below average in this game. 17 points is fine, obviously. Three rebounds, typical for him in a lot of ways. Uh, two assists, um, six of 10 from the floor, one of four from three. Again, not, not he was not terrible, just not a kind of a blah game other than those three jumpers in the fourth quarter, which definitely mattered for sure. Uh, Capella, I thought, was probably their best player other than uh, at least their best overall like two-way player. I think Bay was their best office player in this game. Um, Capella just overall was very, very good. 16 points, 13 rebounds, had a block and a steal. He wasn't like perfect, but just kind of did Clint stuff and was efficient around the rim, eight of ten from the floor. So, uh, you know, wasn't like he blew the entire uh, game out of the water or anything like that, but I thought – Basically, their best players in this game were Capella and Kongwu, both centers. Not a surprise. And then, you know, bad offense. Uh, you could certainly argue for Bogey's second half, but you know, Trey Dejante's Trey's defense was pretty good. But uh, it was a short list of guys who like just played well. Uh, I think certainly Bay played well, given like what he's capable of doing defensively, and his offense was very, very important. But uh, you know, aside from Capella and Kongwu, it, it would be hard to find like two-way excellence by anybody in this game. But there you go. And then we covered it earlier, so I won't do the whole thing again, but Trey and DeJounte will have better nights. I have no concerns about Trey and DeJounte after this game. It's a one-game sample size. Uh, I will say Trey in Miami is a bit concerning. Um, we talked about it a little bit with Tower Jones on a podcast that I did earlier this week. But uh, if you missed that, by the way, it's still very much available in your archive, along with my conversation I had with Glenn Willis this week and everything else. I encourage you to subscribe to the show. Anyway, um, <laughs> as far as that is concerned, I don't know if it's a real thing that Miami is just like his – kryptonite but trey has not given anybody any hope with his performances against miami so if they end up in a playoff series or a play-in matchup with miami um alarm bells on that you know trey is the guy kind of guy who could break out of that with one performance he could just suddenly have 40 in a game against miami and i wouldn't be too surprised but they've had his number for a while and then uh, Dejounte, like tail two nights he was so good on friday he was really bad tonight it's going to happen and his normal baseline is somewhere in the middle obviously at this stage okay uh we'll get out of here now with a quick look ahead um, there is a rematch to come between the Hawks and the Heat on Monday in Miami. So it's one of these series. In fact, they have these two series back-to-back. They play Miami twice, and then they play Washington twice later on this week. Um, with the loss tonight, though, the Hawks are a game and a half behind Miami for the seventh seed. They're three and a half games behind Brooklyn. Um, so they're not in terrible shape. They're not in great shape. Also only a half game ahead of the nine seed at this point, which I believe is Toronto after they won in Washington, Washington today. So 
it's uh, that time of year when I'm not going to go into the full breakdown of the standings every single episode, but with, uh, you know, the Hawks only have 18 more games remaining. Every game, as far as this season is concerned, matters in the standings. Um, Toronto is right behind them, only a half game. Washington's only a game and a half behind them. I do believe the Hawks are fairly safe in terms of actually making the play-in. They do have a, they have a three-game lead on the 11 spot, which is which is the Bulls and the Hawks. As long as they are relatively healthy, I think are just like solidly better than the Bulls. So we'll see. But as far as like getting to six, it's not undoable. But this loss to Miami was bad, was not great for that. And I, I was I don't want to put too much on it. But the game on Monday against Miami could be one of those games that like either makes or breaks potentially not breaks, but you know makes things difficult for the Hawks if they were to lose that game. Because if they lose, now you're two and a half behind Miami and you lose the season series. So right now it's 2-1 in favor of Miami for the series. Um, if it's 2-2, two two, that helps you. And obviously you're back within a half game of Miami. If you lose that one, you, lo- you lose a tiebreaker and you're two and a half back of Miami, not great. So I, wanna, I don't want to put undue influence or undue uh, attention on that game on Monday. It's still a road game against a quality opponent. We'll see by injury stuff. Jimmy Butler was questionable in this game, ended up playing. So we'll see if he's 100% healthy on Monday, if the Hawks have any injury issues between now and then either. But stay tuned for that one. It'd be certainly a big game. And uh, the Hawks probably need to steal that one, I would say, to uh, salvage what is uh, kind of a not, not terribly frustrating, but certainly a little bit frustrating to have you know the Snyder era is now one and two. And uh, I think they might be underdogs again on Monday when, when the line comes out from FanDuel. So stay tuned for all that. And then uh, more manageable in Washington, D.C. for sure later on this week. But uh, a little spoiler alert here. The first game back at home is on Saturday on a back-to-back against Boston. So Boston's really good. That'll be a tough game. And uh, getting through this road trip at at least two and two would be nice. You're hoping for three and one, but that, now that requires you to sweep the next three. So we'll have full coverage of that game on Monday and everything beyond it. Um, I doubt I have a podcast between now and Monday because of the weekend and all that stuff. But if anything happens in huge fashion, I'll break in as I always do. But please subscribe to the show. That's the way to find out if you'll get the show immediately is to subscribe across your podcast platforms of choice. Auto download as well. If you will do that for me, I appreciate that across platforms, Apple and Spotify and Overcast and Stitcher, Google Play, um, TuneIn Radio, Odyssey app. All those places have the podcast and then also on video over on YouTube. Likes and subscriptions are fantastic there as well. Ratings and reviews. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Also follow my Patreon if you are willing to do so. Patreon.com slash BT Roland. And I appreciate all the listens. I said this on Twitter tonight, but I'll cap the show by saying this. It was one of the bigger two-week stretches of traffic in the history of this podcast. Obviously, that was greatly aided by the coaching change and the new hire and all that stuff, so I'm not taking credit for that. But I do appreciate everyone supporting the show, so please continue to do that for me. I do thank you for that. And uh, without further delay, I'll sign off now. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you after the game on Monday.